That's the sound of the coffee pouring. Welcome to the Doctor's Brew. I'm your host, Dr. Abdelaziz Al Khayyat, and having coffee with us today is Dr. Mohammed Sayyikh. Welcome, welcome. Yeah, hello, hi there, and it's a pleasure to be here. Uh, thank you so much for coming on uh, to introduce us to our topic today. This is specifically for our juniors out there, some medical students. Have you ever been shown a CT scan and asked where the liver is and pointed at something completely wrong? Well, for me, let's say as a medical student, I've never been shown an image of the liver, but I've been shown strokes. Right. So as a third year medical student, I was struggling badly with hemorrhagic and non-hemorrhagic strokes. Okay. Is there blood on a CT or is there no blood on a CT? What's the white? Is it bone or is it blood? And uh, it was a disaster, you know? Uh, so um, that comforts me because that is exactly me. <laughs> and I, I bet the majority of our audience actually, uh, actually is just as lost um, at that, uh, you know, at that stage in their career. So luckily for us today, we're going to go into a whole clinical specialty that exists to help us out with this. We're going to be talking about radiology and more specifically the life of an interventional radiologist working here in Kuwait. Dr. Mohamed Asayr is an Irish board certified interventional radiologist who has also completed a fellowship in interventional radiology for pain management and sports injuries. Uh, and you're currently working at Kuwait Hospital, is that correct? Very correct. Awesome. So, uh, yeah. You know, uh, our specialty, like mm -hmm. as interventional radiology, mm -hmm. what's the difference between interventional and diagnostic radiology? It's a very uh, uh, a closely uh, attached specialty to diagnostic radiology. thing mm -hmm. is we use all the modalities that are used in radiology because all of our procedures are guided by the modalities that we usually know. What I mean by modalities is mm -hmm. CT scan or x-rays, fluoroscopy, or ultrasound. These are the three main modalities we use for our guided procedures. Mm -hmm. So uh, what is the uh, guidance? What do we mean by guidance? It means that putting a needle or a tube or a catheter under the surveillance of an image guidance, like of an ultrasound machine or an ultrasound probe or CT x-rays, you know? So that's what we do. We guide our needles, we see where they're going, and we target whatever organ we want to go into. And believe it or not, we usually uh, target everything in the uh, organ systems but the skin. Now, one thing that I've wondered about radiology, uh, especially interventional radiology, is it seems intuitive to me. Uh, if I, you know, if I want to insert anything into somebody, yeah, I would prefer, even if I know, obviously, a cannula, maybe you're not going to do it for every needle you put in. But if I'm putting anything in, I would want it to be guided. But th correct me if I'm wrong here, but this is relatively new that more things are being more and more guided by radiology. Is that correct? Very true. Uh, like very recently mm -hmm. in uh, the public sector, when I was in the Mubarak Hospital, uh, we had a lot of lumbar punctures mm -hmm. being done under fluoroscopy. Mm. Believe it or not, you know, uh, lumbar punctures are bread and butter of uh, neuro uh, uh, medicine, mm -hmm. right? So people there know their ins and outs of their spinal needles into the spine mm -hmm. and they know how to get their uh, cerebrospinal fluid mm -hmm. or measure uh, the pressure of uh, opening pressures of cerebrospinal fluid. It's a very simple technique, mm -hmm. but failure of such patients in the past is not there in the future because <laughs> they have guidance right now. Yeah. They don't do them themselves here in Kuwait, but they refer them back to us. And so why is this uh, something that's relatively uh, relatively new? Is it because the technology wasn't available before? Or, you know, why is this just happening now? Well, it's been there, like interventional procedures mm -hmm. ha have been there. They, they've been introduced by some guy called Sel Seldinger. Mm -hmm. This Mr. Seldinger started it out about in the 60s. Okay. And in the 60s, x-rays were not as good as they are now, even ultrasounds. And then 
everything picked up. Quality of imaging improved. Mm-hmm. When quality of ultrasounds improved and availability of ultrasounds were everywhere. Now you can't even find ultrasound machines in the ER, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, POCUS ultrasounds, point of care ultrasounds are being done for patients that have uh, acute trauma mm-hmm. to see if there is pleural fusion or if there is ascites before taking patients to the OT. Yeah. So availability of equipment is much more now because equipment is much cheaper. Mm-hmm. You know, back in the days, an ultrasound machine was something between 45K Kuwaiti mm-hmm. uh, KDs and uh, 60K. Mm-hmm. Now it's something like 16K or sometimes so you it's can... more affordable. More affordable. Mm-hmm. Sometimes you can get your own probes right now for less than 2K. Really? Yeah. I heard there's now probes coming out that you can attach to your phone. There are. I've bought my own. It's called the Butterfly device. Okay. It's a pretty cool device. It's not the best, mm-hmm. but it does. It, wor- it, it works, you know? Would you advise for juniors to be going out and buying uh, their own little devices? If they want to go into radiology, yes. Right. But it's not for day-to-day use, you know? Mm-hmm. It, it, it's not something that you would use for... Uh, uh, diagnostic radiology. It's, it's not, not the stethoscope, it, it's, you know, like in terms of how everybody needs to have one. It's not a stethoscope but because it's much more expensive. Mm-hmm. I believe it's 900 KD mm-hmm. and there's a subscription that's about $200 uh, a year. Right. Uh, the second thing is if you don't know how to use it, you're probably going to misdiagnose a lot of people. Right. So right. it might cause more harm than good. Well, you know, you're touching up on something interesting, which is the, the, the advancements of technologies on a more personal level, not just like, you know, like a, just the individual doctor, like the stethoscope I use. I don't know if you heard of uh, it's the, the, the Litman stethoscope. Yes. The one that's um, the, the noise canceling one. And yes. Now, you, now it's sending over the audio files to your phone. You can see the murmurs. Amazing. Who knows in 10, 20 years if manual normal stethoscopes are even going to be a thing? Because, of course, I'd much rather, you know, of course, the learning manual is important, just like how we learn how to do manual blood pressures. But let's be honest, it saves us a lot of time doing automatic readings. It does. And believe it or not, there are AIs for stethoscopes right now. Really? Yes. So you'd probably going to have a murmur being diagnosed just by your phone, you know, listening to the murmur. Well, I mean, uh, on AI, no, chat GPT, I think it, 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 uh, it either passed the USMLE or it was very close to passing. Very interesting. Yeah, I mean, so we might be getting replaced very soon. I hope not. Well, not really. In radiology, there are lots of advances in AI, mm-hmm. like chest x-ray reading. There is an, uh, a software that uh, has been licensed. Uh, in the U.S. to diagnose uh, chest x-rays and it is as good as a consultant radiologist. Wow. And it would read the uh, chest x-ray within uh, three seconds and report it. That's really cool. Here in Kuwait, just very recently, within the past year, uh, 2022, Mm -hmm. AI has been acquired by Ibn Sina Hospital Mm -hmm. for reading uh, CT strokes. It is called the Rapid Software, and it uh, reports a CT brain for a stroke within less than one minute. That's amazing. And it emails that report to the treating physician. But how do you feel about that? Well, in Ireland, when I was there in Cork, we used to have this Rapid AI software since 2018, and I personally used that software. Thing is, you have to double check the results. You know, you can never trust AI because sometimes it overreads or underreads. Okay. You have to authenticate what comes out of an AI because it's a person's life, right? Yeah. Depending on that report. So if you have any chances for error, say, say artifacts, yeah. it might misdiagnose that. Yeah. Yeah. But human factors uh, would know artifacts very clearly you mm-hmm. know human eyes would detect artifacts very clearly we're the ultimate machine exactly mm. machines won't pick that up as good as radiologists right and so speaking about radiology why did you choose what's your story with radiology 
Uh, I'll tell you uh, what happened in 2010. I signed up for internal medicine. I did uh, a, a single year as an assistant uh, of internal medicine. Mm -hmm. I really loved it. There are lots of brainiacs out there, you know. Mm -hmm. So uh, I was very interested in cardiology. Okay. Thing is, just to go through these five years of internal medicine is very hectic. Mm -hmm. Seeing lots of uh, people die in front of your eyes, lots of cardiac arrests. Yeah. It's very traumatic. Yeah, yeah. So, and there is a huge geriatric population in the hospitals and the wards. Yes. And they take a lot of effort and they have very little personal satisfaction mm. on both sides mm -hmm. from doctors and from patients. Yeah. So I was like, am I doing any good to myself? Right? Yeah. So on the day I got accepted in the board, I was like, no, that's not for me. <laughs> so I pulled out, I signed up for uh, radiology. Mm. It was an Irish uh, board then. Uh, so it was a four year program. Uh, started out in 2011, finished in 2015. And uh, it was very deep. I never thought radiology was that deep, mm -hmm. you know, you have to cover every single aspect of in medicine, yeah, yeah. pediatrics, gynecology, uh, 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 general surgery, mm -hmm. internal medicine, you have to know every single type of lung disease, mm -hmm. right? Uh, different causes of COPD mm -hmm. are there on your CT scan, right? Yeah. Different types of arthritis seen by rheumatologists are referred back to radiology. Oh, read this x-ray and tell me what type of arthritis is it? Mm -hmm. Is it gout? Is it cirrogout? Is it osteoarthritis? Is it inflammatory arthritis? Just tell me, right? Mm -hmm. So as a radiologist, you have to be very deep in every single specialty. And I was shocked by how much depth there is to radiology. There is a lot of uh, reading to do. That's what's intimidating about it for me. Like from afar, I just imagine yeah. you need to know everything head to toe. Head to toe. Yeah. Uh, the, this is the good side of it, mm -hmm. that it, you, you know everything about every specialty. Not everything, but a lot yeah. about every specialty. But on the contrary, if you want to stay as a diagnostic radiologist, you have to question if you really don't want to deal with patients anymore because there mm. is very poor patient contact. In radiology, you... I was going to touch up on that. Is it yes. is the stereotype of sitting in a dark room, uh, you don't speak to anybody, you just go through? <laughs> well, thing is... Dark rooms mm -hmm. are good for uh, reading, yep. and it has been proven that it improves your pickup rate of oh. findings. Yes. Okay. So it, it, it's not. So you need the dark rooms. Exactly. <laughs> you need the dark room to increase the contrast on the image, mm -hmm. right? So you have a monitor. There are special monitors. It's they're not regular monitors that you read your radiology images off of. Mm -hmm. uh, they have to be. Uh, um, authenticated by world-class providers mm -hmm. that this monitor is good enough for radiology and believe it or not for mammal it's even worse there are spe specific monitors for radiology mm. uh, for mammal so once you have your correct monitor you have to ha bring up uh, contrast to the correct level you know we're black and white yeah. Right. Yeah. So you have to dim the lights. You you can have a backlight behind the screen. Mm. That's okay. But any glare on the screen, any uh, thing that would reduce contrast on the screen, would probably let you miss a lot of images, mm -hmm. or a lot of findings. Second of all, if you have uh, a bad screen you would miss a lot. And that's why on a daily basis, once you start up your monitor, the uh, computer itself tests the screen for contrast. Right. Okay, and that happens every day in radiology. Quality control. Right. Quality control happens in radiology everywhere. Happens on the machine on a daily or weekly basis. Happens on the screen. Happens on the reports. 
we double check our reports. Mm -hmm. You know, there there is a first approver and second approver, right? Mm -hmm. You you double check everything on radiology because you have a lot of uh, uh, responsibility to take. Like you said, one little thing, and this is um, someone's life. It can be a cancer nodule. That's two millimeters in the lung. Yeah. If you don't pick that up in five to ten years, patient is in his Gone. grave. Yeah. yeah. It's. Uh, I mean, we cannot. I cannot say it enough how much we rely on radiologists. Yeah. Um, now, uh, I wanted to ask about on calls. What do radiology on calls uh, look like? They're the worst on calls you can ever imagine. Why? <laughs> They're really bad. You know what happens is, uh, as uh, radiologists, especially in the big hospitals with high flow, mm -hmm. uh, am I allowed to say the names of the hospitals? Yeah, yeah. No, okay, absolutely. so... Like, say, Mubarak, mm -hmm. Farwaniya, Adan. Yeah. These are probably the highest uh, population served hospitals. So you're doing at least 40 CT scans a day. Okay. Okay. So in, in your own calls. And by doing, you mean you're sitting in the room interpreting? Or is it, are you involved in the prepping of the patient, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera? What happens is... Patient, uh, patients come in to ER, usually ER, or patients in the wards. Uh, you get called by the uh, staff that are responsible for the patient, be it one of the physicians or surgeons. They ring you up on the hospital phone. Mm -hmm. You have to pick up, discuss the case, uh, see if it is liable, if it's a good case to do in the on-call. Is it an emergency case? Right. Because you shouldn't do non-emergency cases in the on-calls, right? right? They can wait until the next day. Yeah. But that's very difficult to prove, you know, for a lot of uh, doctors. So and it's usually us juniors who have to present the case. We're the lawyers. <laughs> exactly. And you have to put a lot of spices on that, right? Mm -hmm. Okay. So what happens is we get the case. Uh, we accept the case. It comes down to the radiographer. Mm -hmm or the technologist, right. the guy that does the uh, CT scan. So he preps the patient, does the CT scan, and you have to protocol this CT scan. Do you want it with contrast, without contrast? What phase of contrast do you want right. as a radiologist? Let's say it's a bowel ischemia case. Mm -hmm. Bowel ischemia needs three phases of contrast, pre-contrast, arterial, and venous. Sometimes you have to take a look at the venous phase before the patient is off the table right. to uh, advise for a delayed phase. Mm. And phases are different in seconds. So arterial phase is usually 30. Venous phase is usually 80 seconds after the administration of contrast. And then delayed depends, but it's usually about three to five minutes. So what happens is you have to monitor every single case, and we are a very small team on uh, the on-call. So mm -hmm. it's usually two first on-calls covering the whole hospital, and they split up uh, the hours, say eight and eight hours. So you're getting all the calls, you're writing all the reports, mm -hmm. you're dealing with all the... Uh, uh, and no juniors to help. The first on-call is the junior. Okay. Okay. <laughs> okay, okay. And then there is one second on-call. The mm -hmm. one second on-call is either a senior, a senior specialist, oh, or a consultant, so. and he has to review or she has to review the whole uh, set of images that were acquired, the whole, every single report, every single word, correcting every single typo. And if there's anything to be corrected, he has to pull back the reports, call the treating physician that there has been a change in the report. Oh, this is not appendicitis. Right. Don't send him to OT, you know? <laughs> yeah, yeah. So it's a lot of load in a very short time. That's only talking about CT scans. Yeah. In on-calls, we also do ultrasounds, yep. which are responsibilities of the first on-calls, yeah. right? Yeah. They're never a responsibility of the second on-call, mm -hmm. and they're very hectic. So probably within, from 1 o'clock at night until 4 a.m. in the morning, 
you're probably doing most of your scans, right. you know? And you're probably not getting enough sleep, and you have to concentrate on a monitor, and you have to deal with these guys that like love to spice things up, you know? <laughs> uh, now, uh, it sounds like it's a long night uh, uh, getting through your own call. It is. Yeah. And I'm um, wondering if you use coffee to get you through your own calls. Oh, yeah, definitely. <laughs> well... It depends. A lot of radiologists do coffee, yeah. especially that uh, it's a very dark room and, you know, dark rooms stimulate melatonin. We dark room, dark coffee. Exactly. <laughs> <laughs> so uh, uh, radiologists are very good friends of coffee. Then uh, perfect time to plug <laughs> our partners for this week, uh, for this episode, Earth Roastery. Uh, we spoke about them before on the podcast. I love them. Um, my producer, I, uh, I think, forgot. I realized that I don't have a cup of coffee this time, okay? Uh, so all the, the reviews are on you. We tried their, um, uh, it's a drip cof- uh, coffee, so basically, like, this is meant for you to be able to make drip coffee at, at home just with their kits, and you can get this uh, available on their online store. And uh, we're going to put right here, I'm uh, in post-production, of course, we're going to put the discount sh- uh, code, so it should show for you guys. Uh, on their online store for you to get a uh, discount uh, to order these drip coffee packs. Tell us, how are they? So it's a very smooth coffee. It's uh, very fluffy. Mm. Uh, the uh, aroma is uh, not very strong. Mm-hmm. It's a not very strong aroma. It's not sour or acidic, which... I loved about it mm. and there is a very uh, uh, small amount of bitterness at the end of it mm, which you need I don't exactly. like overly sweet coffee I not never drink sweetened coffee this is 10 points I get very tricky when people <laughs> tell me Spanish latte so go out and uh, get their packs I know I definitely am uh, especially during the on-call, sometimes you want to have a good coffee because um, I don't know about you, I don't like the hospital coffee. <laughs> well, in uh, Mubarak, there is no hospital coffee anymore. Dun, dun, dun. <laughs> that's, that's bad. <laughs> uh, now, from what you've told me, uh, you've kind of opened my eyes a lot about radiology. Yeah. Now, from what I can extrapolate and correct me here, I'd say some of the benefits I think of this degree, like, sorry, not degree, specialty, would be you touch up on everything, mm-hmm. you know. You play a very critical role of people like feeling, you know, sometimes life or death. They like being on that edge yes. in medicine. So you do play a big role with that. Definitely. This may be seen as a con, but it's. I think it's also it could be a pro. Uh, you're there's less patient interaction in the sense that you get more of being in the driver's seat as the the clinician. Uh, very true. So. Uh, almost zero patient interaction unless you're doing ultrasound. Unless you're doing ultrasound. And uh, uh, I've seen colleagues of mine during ultrasound, you know, uh, you have the diaphragm and Mm -hmm. under the diaphragm you have the kidneys and the liver. Yeah. If you want to see the liver, because it's covered by the ribs, right? So if you want to see the liver, you have to tell the patient to take a deep breath. Mm -hmm. So I've seen colleagues telling patients, take a deep breath and keep it in. So the patients won't talk, you know, right. <laughs> during the, the, the procedure. So zero patient contact. <laughs> Not even speaking. <laughs> Not even speaking, exactly. So, yeah, a lot of radiologists love zero patient contact. But mm. for me, I chose to be an interventionist. And so, so okay, can you tell us a little bit of how that differs in terms of uh, patient interaction? Uh, I have my own pain clinic. Okay when I was in Mubarak and currently in Kuwait hospital. So I have a clinic, uh, I authorize as a clinician. Mm-hmm. So once patients come in, I take history, do physical examination, order my labs, uh, have a differential diagnosis, choose what imaging modality I want. And then next step is doing the procedure. Mm-hmm. Some patients are referred to us from orthopedics, spine surgeons, or from rheumatology for uh, pain management procedures, right? Mm -hmm. So uh, what I do as procedures, like a typical day in my clinic or my uh, in Kuwait hospital, what I would do is split up my week into uh, five days 
two days are OT days. So I would book patients that have to be prepped mm -hmm. by anesthesia, by fasting, by uh, stopping certain medications such as uh, antiplatelets uh, before the procedure by five to seven days. So these patients would be shifted to these two OTDs. In my clinic, three days, I would see patients, examine them, diagnose them. If patients need a quick fix, I would take them into my ultrasound room, do an ultrasound guided procedure, mm -hmm. which usually takes five to 10 minutes max from patient coming into the room, uh, uh, positioning the patient, cleaning the patient's skin with betadine or whatnot, chlorhexidine say, and then choosing my needle, choosing my medication that mm -hmm. I want to inject and doing the procedure. So jumping between the clinic and the ultrasound room uh, or going for my OT. It really does sound like you're um, putting a foot in every specialty. Well, very much mm -hmm. we do. Uh, just to uh, have a huge headline, interventional radiology, under it comes two main specialties, which are pain management or musculoskeletal intervention mm -hmm. and vascular intervention. Okay. So vascular intervention that I don't do, mm -hmm. okay, vascular intervention goes for, uh, say, uh, abdominal aortic aneurysm stenting or peripheral vascular disease angioplasty. Mm. This specialty uh, comes in with vascular surgeons, yeah. right? They, they work on the same uh, type of patients. Uh, that I don't do much. What I, they even do AVMs, AV mm. malformations. Okay. They do thrombectomies. And I was going to ask, uh, thrombectomies, that's yes. interventional radiology, right? Yes, intracranial okay. ones. Right. Yes, yeah. like for strokes, yeah. right? Yeah, wow. There's a new program being introduced, and the only guys that are certified to do it internationally, not mm -hmm. only in Kuwait, mm -hmm. are uh, neurointerventional radiologists. Okay, so that, is that a whole specialty or a subspecialty? It's a subspecialty from okay. interventional radiology, so you have to do diagnostic radiology, mm -hmm. and after that, you would have to do neurointervention or start out with intervention and do a sub of neurointervention. Mm -hmm. Yeah, so uh, what I do is pain management. Pain management, the best thing that we do right now is radiofrequency ablation. Mm. It's something so amazing, I can't even find the correct words to describe. Ablation is like cautery, mm -hmm. right? Yeah. It's like burning something. Yeah. It's, it's like the pen uh, surgeons use to cauterize. And there are two poles, one pole is attached to the patient's thigh or glutes, uh, connected to an RF generator. Another wire comes back that we connect to our cannula. Mm -hmm. We put our cannula on the nerve that we want to either stimulate or burn. Right. Right. And then we have two choices, either ablation, burning the nerve off, or pulsed radiofrequency, which is uh, downgrading the uh, stimuli coming through the nerve. Mm -hmm. Okay, so what we do is for facet joints mm -hmm. of the uh, neck or the uh, lumbar or thoracic spine, mm -hmm. we go to the nerves that supply those joints, mm -hmm. you know, and we burn them off. And the patient won't really have to do surgery to take that joint out right. or fix that joint right. with a screw, okay. right? And it's very effective. Best studies in pain management and interventional radiology are focused on ablation. Okay. Okay. Another thing, we do a genicular nerve ablation around the knee. Patients that are not fit for knee replacements mm -hmm. come to us and we burn the nerves around the knee. And patient is pain-free for about two to three years after burning the nerves around the knee. That's amazing. You know, I was speaking about this on the podcast before. Uh, with Dr. Hassan Babahani yep. uh, and pain management. I never really truly appreciated the role of pain management until I saw my dad had uh, cancer. Yeah. When I saw the role of pain in the, 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 the pathology and how, you know, the vital role that managing his pain was to managing his condition, yeah. that's when I really appreciated it. And there was a doctor who once told me, 
who said, if it wasn't for modern uh, opioids, cancer treatment would not be possible. So the role of pain management cannot be understated. Yeah. For sure. You know, um, anesthesiologists like Dr. Hassan are much better than us as radiologists in choosing the correct drugs. Right. Uh, what we do as interventional radiologists in pain management, we are really good at targeting the correct organs or correct nerves. Mm. And that's because all of our procedures are image guided. So right. our background is really good using ultrasound or CT or fluoroscopy. Right. And we know our anatomy much better than anyone else. And is there multi multidisciplinary team approaches? Because I would imagine that the, the best approach would be people of multiple, you know, like you have anesthesia, you have um, um, uh, radiology, and not to plug myself in here and my interest, but psychiatry as well for the more, you know, mental health side of uh, pain. Uh, does such an approach kind of exist with pain management? Uh, yes, but not in Kuwait. Okay. So abroad, there are MDTs for pain management. Uh, teams that are involved are uh, physiotherapy, uh, physiatry, right. uh, psychiatry, uh, interventional radiology, anesthesia, and orthopedics, and spine surgeons. Mm. So all of these uh, specialties are uh, 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 there at the MDT. And a case is presented, like when I was in Ireland, a case is presented within 30 seconds, every single person would chip in. This patient needs, let's say, ablation. Anyone disagree? No, next case, yep. you know? So that's what happens. But it's amazing that a lot of patients that have chronic pain develop depression. Yeah. develop insomnia yeah. you know there is an, a hormonal imbalance mm -hmm. after having chronic pain because there are cortisol shoots yeah. Right? Yeah. there are adrenaline shoots depression has been so, shown to be connected with uh, chronic high cortisol levels very true yeah. so what happens is after you treat the source of pain patient starts to have psychosomatic pain yeah. and you, yeah. you wouldn't really know how to differentiate between the two so sending patients for pre-op assessment to a psychiatrist is normal practice abroad, right. but not here in Kuwait. Really? Yes. Interesting. Like, I, I, I never thought about that. That, that you know, That's one avenue that we're not hitting here. Uh, even, let's say, about other specialties, mm -hmm. uh, let's say about patients with obesity, Mm. They go through dietitians, but they should also go through psychiatrists. Right. Because a lot of patients have mood disorders that enable them to eat more. Yep. Right. Yeah, absolutely. Yes. Absolutely. And I think this is a huge thing that should be treated. Uh, there are private centers that deal with this very well mm -hmm. here in Kuwait. Mm -hmm. uh, I've recently known about them. Uh, they provide physiotherapy and psychotherapy, like Fawzia Sultan Center, mm -hmm. uh, and they're based in Salmiya. Very soon, they're going to open in Sabah Salem, mm -hmm. and they provide both in the, in the same place. So mm -hmm. before starting, you know, like patients that need knee replacement, yeah. they have to do physiotherapy to yeah. strengthen muscles around the, the knee, right? Absolutely. The uh, hamstrings, the quads mm -hmm. have to be uh, uh, very well built before knee replacement gives a lot of better results. Mm -hmm. And thing is, a lot of patients don't have the correct thought process to go through with physio because they don't really think it's that important oh let's just change the knee yeah the educational level or the social status here in kuwait the socioeconomic status is very poor with regards to medical education mm. and <laughs> right and that's why patients don't yeah. accept going through psychiatry yeah for obesity or for knee replacement or for spine surgery they can't conceptualize the role that it has with the pathology exactly yeah so what i do is i have to take the role of the psychiatrist mm. every single person dealing with a patient in his clinic currently in kuwait doing any procedure has to take uh, the role of the psychiatrist 
be it laparoscopic surgeons, be it orthopedic surgeons, be it pain interventionists, we have to differentiate between uh, uh, organic and psych psychiatric problems, yeah. right? And upon that, we have to build up because we don't want to deal with failure post-procedure or, or post-surgically. And now that leads me on to one of uh, the questions that I had here. What are some of the things that impede your practice? What are some of the things that kind of stop you? Like here in Kuwait, mm -hmm. uh, I guess there are uh, a couple of things or three things. Yeah. On the top of my mind, the main thing is in interventional radiology. A lot of doctors don't know what interventional radiology is until today, until this Case day. point. Right? Yeah. So they won't refer the correct patient to the correct specialty. Yeah. And patient would, uh, the patient wouldn't get the correct service. Mm -hmm. So let's say a patient comes with uh, knee pain, x-rays show osteoarthritis, patient needs an intraarticular injection. Mm -hmm. Studies, recent studies have shown that 10% of blind intraarticular injections of the knee are extraarticular. Mm. So failure rate is 10%, which is higher than yeah. the acceptable rate, yeah, right? Of course. Of so course. why is this patient not referred to someone that can do it with guidance, mm -hmm. right? Yeah. So number one is our specialty is not very known in the medical field. Second of all, it is not very well known to patients. Yep. So patients come to my clinic and they're like, they're on the chair and they're like, doctor, what are you specialized in? I thought you are an orthopedic doctor. And I'm like, no. And I have to explain what I do. Yeah. Right. So that's number one. Number two is they, there are some um, procedures that we cannot do in the public sector mm -hmm. due to shortage of some items. Right. Okay. And there are ways around it. Uh, doctors always find ways around everything. Yeah. And uh, alhamdulillah, they're smart enough to figure out ways around things. Yeah. Uh, third of all, it is the post-op care. Mm. Be it psychiatry or physiotherapy. Mm -hmm. We are not based in a, an MDT center, a multidisciplinary team. Mm. So patients have to go themselves to different specialties. So after doing, say, radiofrequency ablation of the lumbar spine, patients should go for physiotherapy to strengthen the paraspinal muscles. Mm -hmm. Going to such a specialty in physiotherapy, I don't have direct contact as a pain specialist with the physiotherapist treating the patient. The person that has to bring back the data to me is the patient himself. Which is known to, in general, even you lose patients to follow up that way. Exactly. It's so, well documented in the literature. So you lose follow up. You're having a different plan for the patient that is implemented in a different way by the physiotherapist because probably he has his own views. Yeah. But that physiotherapist never came back to you. And there needs to be a discussion. Exactly. Yeah. Uh, third of all, there are patients that we refer to uh, uh, surgical specialties. Like this patient, I did uh, radiofrequency ablation. It didn't work. There is a failure rate. This patient needs surgery. Mm -hmm. Patients needing surgery go, go to orthopedic surgeons or to spine surgeons or whatnot. And these patients need to know that uh, they have to conduct the message to the uh, surgeon that yeah. I have received such procedure. Yeah. Even if you give patients the correct paperwork, sometimes they don't present them to the physician. Right. Like having steroids inside joints, uh, let's say in the knee joint, yeah. is contraindicated for surgery for the first three months. Mm. So if patients are operated within the first three months, what would happen? There is a high chance of infection. Well, you know, we touched up on now on the, the MDT stuff. Yes. And there's moves towards it now in Kuwait. Very true. In psychiatry, I know that they've recently passed a law that allows now private hospitals to 
uh, hired psychiatrists. Previously, the, the psychiatry had to exist outside private hospital settings. Amazing. But now this is, you know, this is one step forward because maybe tomorrow you're having your clinic. You only need to ne- go next door to the psychiatrist say, hey, my patient needs uh, a mental health assessment. Very true. So and hopefully. <laughs> hopefully. And w- one more thing, a lot of pain uh, that, that is chronic, that yeah. is not helped by procedures is on medication, opioids and whatnot, right? So patients that are on chronic opioids develop a lot of psychiatric disorders, yeah. right? Yeah. Be it addiction, be it depression, be it anxiety, even schizophrenia is one of uh, the friends in the party, you know? Yeah. So uh, these patients have to be followed up very strictly by uh, psychiatrists. Yeah, absolutely. There's yeah. Um, definitely, and I'm, I'm happy to see not only, you know, like from our discussion, this is just reaffirming, there's more of an acceptance not only from the public, but also from other medical specialties on the role of psychiatry more and more and more. They're accepting psychiatry uh, and they're welcoming it. They're wanting it in managing their patients. Uh, a lot of doctors do. Yeah. A lot of patients don't. <laughs> uh, now, in terms of the MD- MDT, yeah. One uh, one little uh, group of well, not little, big group of people on the MDT is also uh, juniors. Yes. Uh, I I want to run a scenario by you. Sure. I'm a junior doctor in Emiri. Yeah. Uh, my patient needs to be taken for CT. Mm-hmm. My consultant wants it to be done today. Okay. I call the the radiologist. Yes. He says, "Call me back at one p.m." Which happens to be handover. <laughs> Definitely. What do we do? Well, it really depends on how uh, critical the case is. Mm-hmm. So if the CT has to be done now urgently because it differs in management, I have to communicate that properly to the radiologist. Let's say there is a patient that is query intracranial hematoma. Patient mm-hmm. is on uh, uh, antiplatelets or right. blood thinners, whatever they are. Right. So this patient is critical. I have to, as a physician, stop my anticoagulation until I get the CT. If CT is negative for hemorrhage, next step is restart the medication, right? Mm-hmm. Because patient is on his anticoagulants probably for a F or whatnot, mm-hmm. and that can cause another stroke, yeah. right? So if I communicate this message very clearly to the radiologist and he doesn't get it, I have to contact the second on-call radiologist and prove my point. Usually, second on-call radiologists don't like to be disturbed because they're in their man caves. And uh, (laughs) they're they're having their coffee, they're concentrating on 40 reports a day, Mm -hmm. and they're probably more just-do-it guys, nighty guys, I call them. You know? So they're like, you have a point, go ahead, call the first on call again, and tell him to do it. And it usually happens probably once on tw- or twice every on call. But okay, let me play devil's advocate with an issue we have in uh, medicine, for example. Yeah. A lot of times with my patient, it was not as much, uh, it was an emergency and it needed to happen now, 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 now. But it was a patient that the, the clock is ticking, mm-hmm. and if every minute they're here, we're throwing a coin as to whether they're going to get a hospital-acquired infection. And so yes. that was the urgency in the situation. Now, from your perspective as a radiologist, do, does this some, is this something that's factored in uh, to, like, do, should I do a scan for this patient or not? Well, it's not factored in to be done as urgent, mm-hmm. but it is, it, it, it's not an emergency, but it is an urgency. You know, there's a difference between the two because radiologists see other patients at the same time. You're not the only doctor calling them, right? (laughs) So they're probably being called by uh, a dozen doctors other than you. Mm -hmm. And they have to classify their calls into urgent and emergent and next day cases. Mm -hmm. Uh, Thing is that it's a huge communication issue. A lot of doctors, being physicians or surgeons, don't really uh, know how to 
communicate the message properly. Yeah. And on the other hand, a lot of radiologists are very stubborn and they don't want to really accept the case because they're not convinced well enough. So the proper way to do it is to have a protocol. And mm -hmm. some protocols have been set through the Ministry of Health yeah. here in Kuwait. And it has been reviewed for the past three, four years, again and again, on a yearly basis, signed by both ends of the party. Mm -hmm. And uh, uh, some hospitals are sticking to the protocols by the ministry. Mm -hmm. um, I, I, that's something in interesting to know. By, by protocol, do you mean as in what to prioritize, what not to prioritize? What has to be done in the on-call, what's not an on-call case. Mm, yeah. okay. Like okay. Uh, one of the things that I was surprised by is uh, non-surgical acute cholecystitis mm -hmm. is uh, not an on-call case, you know? Oh. So acute cholecystitis can be delayed to the next day because usually surgeons won't go in and do anything with it un uh, until the next day. So right, patient right. Uh, could be admitted, ultrasound could be done, but on the other hand, there is a bed to be occupied for 24 hours without need. Right. right, right. So you have to really weigh it, but the protocols are there. And uh, now the, the last group of people in terms of communication I want to ask about are patients. Because especially, especially with radiology, I've seen so much pushback from patients, mm -hmm. especially in Kuwait. For example, the thing that I'm shocked about is the intense, intense fear of contrast, IV contrast. I've... I've gotten into arguments with people, hour-long arguments over sabre, and it's amazing. I just I don't understand why is there this fear in Kuwait? Where did this come from? Yeah, it's huge. It's huge, and I've seen it. Uh, thing is, it's even worse. Very recently, within the past two to three years, because there is a, a contrast consent now. So mm -hmm. patients have to sign a consent to be given contrast. Yeah. And that has increased the fear of patients getting their contrast. It's not wrong because it's international. Contrast yeah. uh, consents are there internationally. Uh, thing is, there is a stigma about contrast causing renal failure. It doesn't really cause renal failure unless GFR is on the wrong side down yeah. 30, right? Yeah. So uh, patients with good renal function very rarely uh, get any disturbance in renal function, AKI or whatnot. Absolutely. Second of all, a lot of people get contrast reactions. Yeah. Asthmatics yeah. or whatnot. Uh, and a lot of people have been talking about it. So I think it's the renal failure mainly. I, you know, I, I, I know that it's difficult sometimes to convey to patients that um, in medicine, there's no such thing as 100%. And Very true. I had one patient, I remember they told me basically like, you know, uh, you need to, you can't tell me that there's a potential side effect. You need to be 100% certain. I, I said, well, that, that's not how it works. I said, well, then, I, then that's impossible. I want this treat treatment instead. And I said... Well, that treatment also has potential side effects. And I feel like for, for your specialty, especially with the stigma, it's, it's very difficult to communicate. Well, if you want to explain every side effect to patients, like even CT scans have been proven to increase uh, head CT scans in pediatrics. They've been proven by studies to increase the risk of intracranial tumors. Absolutely. Or leukemias. Yeah. And that's very sad if that was communicated to the general public. Mm -hmm. Like tr uh, patients in trauma would re uh, uh, go, uh, like stand back from having their kids doing any imaging. But then again, if you don't get the imaging, your kid may die from what's happening right now. You know, there is a huge controversy on CT scans, CT pulmonary angiograms in pregnant ladies. I actually had a case of this back when I was in Manchester in, uh, in university. It was a huge case, like everything was inconclusive and they were weighing CTPA, not CTPA. They had no idea. Yeah, yeah. sometimes you just have to go with your guts. Yep. 
you, you know? need to weigh out you, all the options and you weigh it and then you sign the consent and go for it who do you think is uh, the best person to consult for that decision of uh, in terms of risk for a CTPA uh, it's the radiology a radiologist call so it's it, that, yes. they're the ones who are most uh, experts yes, okay. yes 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 uh, so it's the radiologist call and we get full disclosure uh, from our uh, medical backgrounds mm -hmm. we actually study it the risk of radiation on fetus in every day of pregnancy and what can happen to the patient the third trimester is more or less n not really uh, uh, about the outcome you right know? so if patient is in the third trimester and she really needs it mm -hmm. it's life-threatening patient could die from a saddle embolus you know all the uh, uh, criteria there is going towards a CT uh, PA just go for it you know right. it's patient's life Absolutely. Well, that's everything that I uh, wanted to ask on uh, my end. Thank you so, so much for being here. Uh, it's my pleasure. And uh, it was really great talking to you. And in uh, interventional radiology, uh, there are so many things. Uh, just uh, let me talk for these two minutes. I just want to communicate Please. a message to everyone watching this. Uh, pain management is huge now everyone should really consider this uh, referring your patients that are in chronic pain uh, is usually solved or directed by an interventional radiologist or a pain physician if you don't really know how to cure a patient's pain or manage patient's pain manage is a better term uh, refer your patients to a pain clinic Pain clinics could help a lot. Interventional radiologists could help a lot uh, in diagnosing because there are so many different ways to look at a patient, right? In diagnosing and treating mm -hmm. your patients. Not every patient would need surgery. Not every patient would need a procedure. Uh, lots of patients would benefit from minimally invasive procedures. Um, I've learned a lot about interventional radiology from this talk. And I hope that people listening, watching, uh, I hope more and more are considering a career interventional radiology. And I hope that uh, in some small way that this impacts their future practice for them to be more aware of the specialty for referring. Uh, please be sure to uh, follow Dr. Mohamed Asayikh's uh, amazingly, your Instagram handle is amazing. Thank you. Dr. Gold, right? Yep. Yeah. Uh, the, the single best Instagram handle in the world. Thank you very much. Uh, be sure to follow him if you're a patient, if you're a doctor, for more information on what he does on interventional radiology. I love his Instagram. Uh, I'm, uh, I, re I recently started my own, and it's also one of the pages that I look through to you know, be inspired on how to content create in the, in the medical setting. Thank you so much for being with us. Thank you for having me here. It's a pleasure. So that's the last sip of coffee for the day. Uh, please be sure to check uh, Earth Roasteries online store, Dr. Mohamed Desayer's uh, Insta Instagram, and uh, uh, follow us for more episodes. And uh, we'll see you next time. Thank you very much. Thank you. Awesome. Hope you all enjoyed this episode of The Doctor's Brew. New episodes to listen to with a cup of coffee coming your way every Sunday on YouTube and Spotify. And be sure to follow us on Instagram for all the latest updates. See you next time.